when I saw Pastor Ray playing the keyboard. I had a few thoughts, one of which I think his actual calling is to be a pop singer, but that's it. You can see the passion. But it also reminded me of the first time I met him. It was at a retreat for track youth workers in Batam, I think. And again, I saw him playing keyboards, and we already began to have good conversations. That was so long ago, a, a friendship that has been nurtured through the years. And I, I really am very grateful for the friends that God brings into my life. I have a little confession to make, actually. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was in Bangkok speaking at a conference. Don't ask me how these days all get confused, but anyway. So, come back late Sunday night, then Monday. So, a bit tired. Lah. So tired, I get grumpy, short with people. All that. But, uh, of course, I pray and want to be God's spokesman. And I think that God has strengthened me. I keep claiming in my weakness is His strength. But also the warmth of the reception from your pastors and leaders, from all of you. It has really helped to pick up my spirit. So I want to thank you for that as well. If anything good has happened these few nights, we have done it together. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, Pastor Ray's concern has been about how to connect the generations. And in the format of sermons, I can only uh, encourage us to look at some spiritual fundamentals. The actual how-tos, if, if you want, we can come back again to talk about practical applications of how we can actually do this. So that one is not the place for a sermon. A sermon is to build a certain uh, spiritual foundation. Then all the ministries we can build upon the foundation. So the third one tonight, the first one was about uni unity, diversity. Remember that we not, cannot play play. La. We are meant to be united. It's not just a church of silos of different types of people. We are different, but we are meant to be one church. And that it is not a one church that stifles our differences. It actually celebrates diversity. But then because we are different, we have different strengths to offer each other. And so that is our focus for the first night. And I said it can only happen if we have love. Uh, without love, all those nice ideas won't come into fruition. Then when we talk about love, I, I suggested that the first step of love actually is to forgive each other. To live together in a fallen world, sooner or later, we will hurt each other. And sometimes the wounds from those within the community are the most painful. And we can't pretend it's not there. So I was very moved by all the f f frank sharings on the slide. Though. I was very moved by the honesty. And now, bringing it to the light, we can then work at it. As God has forgiven us, how can we forgive each other? Sometimes it's forgiving people who has hurt us. Sometimes it's going to someone and saying, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. that. That must have hurt you. I, I really am sorry. Can you forgive me? So it both ways. Lah. And I can tell you that when we begin to forgive each other, it opens the door of breakthroughs from God. Sometimes God wants to do great things among us. But you remember, we are holding our anger so tight that He can't. I think God wants to do a great new revival among us. And post-COVID, everybody talks about the big work of God, big work of God. But I think the first step actually is we learning to let go our anger with each other. And I admitted that this is not easy if you have been hurt badly. So I'm not saying it's easy, but in the power of God. 
Tonight I return to something even more fundamental. And that what does it mean to be Christian? After all, the intergen issue rests on the more fundamental question of what it means to be Christian. And for this I go to a familiar passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan, verse 25 onwards. And tonight I will do something different. I will actually go through the passage. I like to do this so that next time when you go back to the passage, you can remember. If you give three points, four points, you're always dependent upon the speaker to give you the point. But when you go back to the passage, the logic of the passage is there. So you don't need someone to tell you. When you read again, you can see the logic of the passage. So if you bear with me uh, today, Luke uh, 10, verses 25 onwards. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, number one, the expert in the law, some translations say lawyer, but actually it's more like PhD from TTC. or It's someone who knows the word of God very well. And he's not looking for truth. He wants to test Jesus. Because the word has gone out that this guy uh, who never went to seminary, one, uh, he's the son of carpenter. Oh, he's preaching powerfully. Uh. Many people coming to hear him. Uh. So as a trained um, person in the word, you... Okay, this fellow carpenter can preach so powerfully, so he come and test him, you know, like some kung fu guy. You see how good this layman really is. So then says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a common question that many Jews would ask. And eternal life doesn't mean you go heaven and live forever. Eternal life is that one day when God will return and usher in the kingdom of God. That is the Jewish understanding. One day God will come back and usher in the kingdom. To have eternal life means I'm going to be part of this kingdom. So, how does one become uh, assured that we will be part of this kingdom of God that's going to come? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, when you talk to Jesus, it's very frustrating because you ask him question, uh, he asks you question back. You know, these kind of people, you ask them question, ask them, they never give you direct answer. Uh. So he says, uh, no, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, the guy cannot say, I don't know, right? Because it's supposed to be PhD, ma. So he got caught already. He must say something already. So Jesus asks questions to force you to come to terms with what really is. He could easily have just given the answer and then nothing really. But he purposely don't give answer. He asks him back. What, what, what do you say? What do you say? Then he's supposed to be expert in the law. Everybody knows expert in the law. So you've got to say something. He says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a wonderful answer because he, this expert in the law has connected a verse from Leviticus and a verse from Deuteronomy. That really this sums up what it means to belong to God, that we love God with the totality of our lives and we love our neighbor as ourselves. If, if you really want to know whether we belong to God, these are the twin loves that defines what is life in God. Loving God and loving neighbor. All the other commands or that flow from this, but this is the two things. So this is what the expert in the law said. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. You do this and you will live. No, said, yeah, you know already you were... No, so that's my version. You've answered correctly. You know why you ask me? You know, again, now the, the fellow must be a bit embarrassed because now it is seen that he actually knows the answer already. You can ask, but he really no answer. It means he's trying to embarrass Jesus. Or what. He's not really uh, fighting for the truth. He's actually trying to show up Jesus or what. So it says, uh, you do this and you will live. But remember, it's do this and you will live. Not feel it and you will live. Or think it and you will live. Or sing it and you will live. 
but do this and you will live. That means it's not just feelings or it's not just head knowledge, but it is how you live your lives. Do this and you shall live. So this is very important. Okay, there's nothing wrong with feelings or thinking the right doctrines. I mean, of course, that's important. But at the end of the day, we see with how you live your life. Lah, huh? You can have powerful feelings in worship. You can answer all the right questions in Sunday school, whatever. But what kind of lives are you living? Because you have to do this. Love God and love neighbor. It's something that you do. Not just something that you say or feel. Do this and you will live. Now, the guy is a bit embarrassed. This expert in the law wanted to test Jesus and now Jesus has turned the tables and now he's embarrassed that he has asked something that he already knows already. So now he want to he want to have a comeback lah, come back. But he wanted to justify himself. No? So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? No? Love God and love neighbor, and you have eternal life, but who is my neighbor? So if you're an ordinary Jew, your neighbor probably is your family. Lah. If you're a holier kind of Jew, eh, maybe your tribe, eh, twelve tribes. If you are really, really holy, eh, you will try to love everybody in Israel. Ah, that one. Extreme, love extreme. Love everybody in Israel. But no one will love someone outside the community of Israel. They would love someone within the community. Either your own family, one step higher, love your tribe, one step even higher, love everybody in Israel. So I can only think that this guy is going to answer, well, I don't want to say that, but actually I, 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 I love everybody in Israel. I think, I think he's going to say that. Then Jesus said, well, good boy, good boy. I think maybe that's what the teacher in the law was thinking would be the flow of, of events. Well, who's my neighbor? No? Neighbor, a truly good Jew, a neighbor is someone who loves the whole of Israel. Then the teacher would say, I don't want to say that, but yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. No? Then Jesus would say, wow, good boy. See, he thought that that would be the sequence of events. He's trying to have a comeback. Remember, he's embarrassed already. Yeah? But then again, talking to Jesus, I tell you again, is highly frustrating. You ask him a question, he asks you a question back. You ask him another question, he tells you a story. Once upon a time. It's very frustrating to talk to Jesus. So he tells a story. So in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Apparently this is something that happened all the time. I think all the listeners will be Jews. And he connects with them by telling a story of something that happens quite frequently. You know, like, hey, you go to JB, uh, be careful, huh? I'm a Malaysian, so I can say this. Uh, so, that petrol station, especially that one, uh, oh, be careful. Uh. So here, this is something that was common knowledge. They knew that this happened all the time. You know, this road is uh, very narrow, you know, winding. The thieves can hide and whack people. So a man was going down from Jerusalem, Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. I think Liu purposely say half dead because if you don't help him, he becomes three-quarter dead. Then you wait some more, he become nine eight dead. Then he fully dead. So purposely mentioned half dead to let you hear the clock is ticking. He didn't say he was wounded. No? He said half dead. Tick 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 tick. No, it's half dead already. Be careful after that. Three quarter dead already. So, so the, all the listeners will be all. This is like any movie or story. There's a crisis now. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to this guy? Is he going to die? Oh man, my auntie also cannot kind of like that. You know, I mean, so they, they all would have people who have experienced this. Maybe some of them would have been robbed before. So what's going to happen to this guy? What's going to happen to him? Then a priest happened to be going down uh, the same road. That's a big sigh of relief. <sighs> Priests are the most holy people in Israel. He's going to be okay, man. Priest, priest. 
And a priest came down, and when he saw the man, so that he, not that he didn't see the man, uh, yeah, he saw the man, uh, and he passed by on the other side. He saw the man, the other side of the road, he passed by. Oh, the listeners all be very confused. Why didn't he help him? The guy is half dead already. By now, maybe three quarter already. So they're very confused. Don't know why the priest didn't help because he was from that group that was the holiest in Israel. And don't know why. Maybe he's rushing to the toilet. Don't know why he didn't do that. Then a Levite came by. Levite second holiest group. So, yeah. Don't know what happened to the priest, but now at least Levite come by. Sure, okay, ready. So a Levite came to the place. Again, we are told that he saw him and passed by on the other side. By now, I think the, the, the audience would be gasping. Huh? Then what's going to happen to him? At this time, it is a Korean drama. It's the end of the episode. Ching, 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 ching. The, the characters become two-dimensional, right? And then there's some music, and then, and then you tell the next episode, see what happened. So this is a Korean drama. This will be the end of one episode. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? If you're binge-watching, then, binge then you go to the next episode. So the next episode, it starts out, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, here, the audience is totally confused, because Samaritans are useless people. Useless, useless. They were Jews when they went into exile, then they intermarry with other races. So not pure Jew. Jew wannabe. Not pure and useless. This Samaritan useless. You go to a town uh, full of Samaritans, uh, I don't care, I go another way, I have to pay toll, I don't care. I don't get contaminated by you, those Samaritans. You. So Samaritans are people who are not uh, respected, people, Jews look down on them, they are useless, stupid people. So when a Samaritan appears in the, in the story, and, and this is a very important point because you always talk about this story as the good Samaritan, but if you are the original audience, you are kind of disgusted and shocked why suddenly a Samaritan enters the story. You're very shocked. We don't shock because we read this story 600 times since Sunday school, so we are not shocked. But for the original audience, this is a shocking development because Samaritan, oh, Chamla, the guy is going to kick him and, and make him 100% dead or what? No? I wouldn't be surprised if the Samaritans, he's probably going to kick the guy on the ground and then make him 100% dead. Or what? But when Samaritan came by, he, he saw him and he took pity on him. Really, man, Samaritan got pity on he took pity on him and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Which to me was a risk, actually. You don't know, huh? maybe the robbers are hiding behind somewhere and then you come and help the fellow, they come and jump on you. So sometimes serving God, God risks one. Huh? Serving God is not always playing it safe. Lah. But the guy is dying, what do you do, man? So he stopped and went to him and bandaged his wounds. That means I'm sure his shirt will get all sorts of blood and dirt and dirty, yucky, must go laundry already. Touching on this guy who was bleeding, dying, and pouring on oil and wine. So why oil and wine? Because in the first aid kit of those days, you open the first aid kit, the cross, open, oil and wine. Oil to soothe the wound, wine, bactericidal, kill germs. So this is standard equipment, first aid kit of the first century. Oil and wine. So he... Went to his donkey, horse, or take out the first aid kit, put oil to, to soothe the wound and the wine to try to kill some germs. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and when Luke says own donkey, he didn't just say put him on the donkey. Own donkey means before this, the man was on the donkey, crook, 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 crook. Now he put the sick guy on the donkey, he had to walk already. Eh? Well, this is a very compassionate act. Eh? 
Now you have to walk. Uh. Well, the, the sick guy is on the donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He purpose, uh, personally nursed him. Those days got no A&E, no hospital. Often inns would double up as places where people rest and heal. Then the next day, he took out two rice, about two days' wages, and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, when I return, I will reimburse you with any extra expense you may have. Wow, blank check some more. For someone that he doesn't know, huh? complete stranger, and from a Samaritan some more. So this is shocking. At this point, I can hear all the Israelite listening to the story, resisting in their mind. Huh, Samaritan can be like that one. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And you must understand that Jesus has actually changed the question. So which of these three was a neighbor? The, like, the guy in the, who is expert in the law said, uh, who is my neighbor? Who deserves my help? Jesus doesn't answer that. He said, which of you are a neighborly kind of person? You notice that uh, this is not the same question. Uh. The first question is, who is my neighbor? Who deserves to my help? So by ignoring the question, Jesus is basically saying, eh, the wrong question to begin with. You don't ask, who deserves my help? Eh, eh. But he asks another question, what kind of person are you? Are you a neighborly kind of person? Do you, are you someone who loves God and neighbor? Let's return to this. No? Then the expert in the law, I think, cannot say the word Samaritan because it's a bad word. So he said, uh, the one who had mercy on him, which is not wrong or so. Huh? Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Do likewise. Remember, do this, you will live. Go and do. So it's not what kind of race you come from, what spiritual degrees you have, but are you someone who actually lives a life of loving God and loving neighbor? Loving God and loving neighbor. I better address the question, why you think uh, the priest and the Levite never helped? I, I would be very curious. You know? The original hero also very curious. You know? Most holy gang, second holy gang, never do anything. They saw the fellow and walked the other side. So many theories have abounded. Maybe they had duties in the temple. And if you have duties in the temple, you touch a dead body, eh, spiritually unclean, you have to go through many rites to get purified before you can serve. Maybe they thought the guy looked as though he's dead already. I don't know whether he's dead or not. No. So after, he said, oh, you're dead already. Jeez. Three months cannot serve. No. Maybe that was why they did not help, because they were not sure whether he was dead. In case he's dead, what? Deep doo-doo. No, they cannot, cannot serve in the temple. But actually, Luke doesn't tell us why the priest and the Levite never helped. All that Luke highlights is that they never did anything. Don't care lah, what, what reason. Because you do this and you will live, remember? But they didn't do this. They didn't love God and love neighbor. So we talk about generations or whatever. Let's begin with this most fundamental question. Are we people who have been transformed by the gospel and live a certain kind of life? Let me be clear, we do not earn our salvation. It's not that we love God, love neighbor, we get saved. We are saved by grace from beginning to end. But if we have been transformed by grace, we should be a certain kind of person. And are we people who love God and love neighbor? So now I go to the, the points. First point is a disciple is one who loves God with the totality of his or her life. Remember, he says, love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So there's no sacred, secular divide. That's my greatest fear 
many of us put uh, our faith in some sacred part. Can, can I have point number one, please? There's some sacred part of life, and then there's Sunday school, CG, or whatever. Then things outside of that are, are secular and really uh, not really things that we take seriously in terms of our relationship with God. But there's no sacred secular divide. Right? We have to love God with the totality of our being. I think in the intergenerational issue, uh, the the young are much more concerned that there be no sacred secular divide. The young. Uh, for us, uh, to be a pastor means very important. To be a banker, not so important. I remember when I told my friends that I was leaving dentistry to go uh, into ministry, many of my friends will come to me and say, Whoa, it's so good that you are actually uh, leaving dentistry to serve God. Ah. So I was very confused by this. But when I was doing dentistry, who was I serving? Ministry of Health or what? I thought I was always serving God all along. Ma. Serving God as dentist, serving God as preacher, all serving God. So in, ter- in terms of the generations, the young are more conscious of the lack of this divide. And they're very concerned that sometimes we seem to locate Christianity even in just some narrow spiritual dimension of life. And this, we need to rethink this. The fear is that everything is holy, then nothing is holy. I understand. If everything is holy, nothing is holy. We need to understand what are the things that really uh, are important. But we also want to say that we are to love God with the totality of our being. And this is Lent. This is Holy Week. Are you loving God in your work, how you handle money, entertainment, use of time, your relationships, everything? Does it honor God? Maybe this Holy Week, is there one dimension that you have neglected and need some work to make that also something that uh, glorifies God? Love God with the totality of your being. But the second point is that we demonstrate this love for God. One concrete way is by sacrificially loving those in need that they can help, by being a neighbor. Is there some reason why the points cannot come back on? In the, the guys at the back, the, huh, the boys, yeah? Oh, they're not here. No wonder, stupid. The, why not consistent one? Oh, okay, sorry. Confuse the boomer. You confuse the boomer. So sorry, sorry. Okay, I told you I'm grumpy. Anyway, uh, this is a very important point because to love God, anybody can say lah. Huh? To love God, anybody can say. But we really can't see whether you love God or not. We have a lot of emotional experience. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, thanks. Yeah. And. But really, the proof that we love God is that we love people. You can claim all sorts of uh, experiences in church, get slain or whatever, but at the end of the day, I ask you, do you love people or not? This is what First John say. No? Don't say you love God that you can't see, but you don't love people that you can see. Don't bluff. This is the strictest and most difficult challenge I find. To love God, we must love people, love neighbor. And even sacrificially. Isn't a good Samaritan someone who loves sacrificially? Risking, stopping in case he gets robbed as well. Uh, from his own money, he let the guy put on a donkey, he walked himself. If you are saying we are all children of God, there must be this element of sacrifice in our life. 
Love means sacrifice. How are we in terms of time, money, gifting, connections, whatever, if I can help others, I will do it. And it seems that this call is for us to love our brothers and sisters. In fact, I was curious why a lot of the New Testament uh, is loving each other within the family. What about the people outside? Uh? Then in, later I come to realize that maybe love people inside the body of Christ is training ground to love people outside. Sometimes you love people outside, uh, can be hero. No? Whoa, he's so kind. Uh, come out newspaper, straight time. Uh. But when you love people within the church, uh, some people you cannot stand one. Uh. Uh, this is testing, testing ground, training ground to love people outside. Now I realize why there's so much call to love people within the body of Christ. Because these are people you know. People who you need to forgive. People you cannot tahan one. And these are people you are meant to love. And if you can love them, then you are really training yourself to love those outside the church. Of course, we must do good to all men. That, that is our call. But why all this focus on within the church? I come to terms that it is preparation for loving those outside the church. So it's not that we love in church, they don't care outside. Of course, we are meant to be representatives of Christ to a broken world, but we do our training in church where we love those people, where we find it hard to love one. So Lord, I show that I love you because I concretely go and help people, even those I, I cannot tahan. Those I cannot stand. Sorry, my penang is coming up. And this call to sacrificially love people is something we must help all generations to do. For the young, for the young, if you want to ask them to be loyal to a brand name, Methodist or Wesley or whatever, it wouldn't cut much traction with them. But you say that as a church, Wesley wants to be agents of God to touch the world, to sacrificially help those who are broken in the world, then the young will come. They will come because there's something purposeful for them to do. Our time, we, I sound like an old man. Our time, hey, be a loyal Methodist, huh? we are Methodist. Huh? We are, we are. And I think there are good reasons why there are denominations, and we should be aware of our distinctives. I'm not saying we don't do that. But I think if you want to win and keep the young, you must give them a vision big enough to capture their heart. And the marketplace knows this. All these companies are giving young people powerful visions mission for them to do and if you want to be a church that attracts the younger generation we have to give them a vision that they can give their life to but you have to help you have to help old people minister as well oh, i keep forgetting older people old people are supposed to be politically incorrect older people older people because now uh, like it or not, us older people are going to be around a long time, you know. With better health care and better diet. Those days, 50, 60, they graduate to heaven. Now we don't graduate yet. We hang around until 80, 90. Well, we age differently. My mother, 94, she passed away with 10 years of dementia and Parkinson's. That was very hard. But... My professor in region, Dr. Houston, at 100, still writing devotion. 100, 100. So I come to terms that all of us will age differently. Will age differently. The number don't mean anything, like 94, 100, don't mean anything, right? Because the individual is different. 94, my mother, dementia. 100, still writing. So we need to help a growing group of older people 
serve God. Help them to focus on what they can do and not just focus on what they can't do. Maybe our energy levels are different, our mastery of technology not the same, but we still want to make a difference in life. In the old days, I find seniors' ministry is like some kind of nursery for older people. Durian trips. Okay, I think that has to continue. I think the the, 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 the trips, uh, line dancing, ukulele, ching ching ching. Now, hey, if line dancing and ukulele is your thing, all power to you. No? I'm not saying those things are anything bad at all, but many may want to do much more, you know. And there are going to be many of us. It'll be a wasted resource if we don't help our older folks be able to demonstrate their love by sacrificially loving those in need. So we have to discern carefully how do we mobilize the young, how do we mobilize the older, how do we mobilize all people of all generations to follow the example of the Samaritan, to sacrificially care. And all the studies have shown that when people live a life of helping others, they themselves are blessed. Not just a biblical truth. Even psychologists, altruism actually leads to a lot of personal joy actually. So when we challenge people to serve, it's not something that is bad for them. Bad for them. Okay. Now, the third point is that this includes helping those that we may not be naturally inclined to help. Now, this is the toughie. Remember, if I'm a Samaritan, this is a Jew, you belong to a race that have looked down on me all my life. So you look down on me, you second-class citizens. In the, in the flesh, what would be our response? Loving somebody that you're not inclined to love. But we see that the Samaritan crosses this barrier. And so in our love, it's not just helping people that are easy to help. I mean, even the non-Christians do that. was the big deal? That when we love those who are hard to love, even those who are maybe are enemies of the church, doesn't mean we endorse what they do, but we will still show love and compassion to all people. Nah, now we are talking that God is among, in, among us. Helping people who are easy to love, who tell you what a good boy you are. What, what's the big deal? Even the world is all like that. But when we sacrificially care for all sorts of people, including those hard to love, even those who hurt us, uh, now we see lah, that God is real among us. The world knows that the world is very divided. When they see a group of people, like I said on Monday, that really love each other and love others, they will know that God is in our midst. This is a tough sermon. Wow, this three sermons are very tough. One. I think I re- preach on this sermon and go back, I feel bad. Because I am judged by the same sermon. I need to judge a bit extra. I think. Anyway, uh, can we rise up on this holy week? Can we rise up and be the kind of people God wants us to be where we demonstrate our love for God by loving others and helping all the generations to love? Because they may need different help to love. Don't write any group off. As we grow more aware of what are the needs of young people, we also want to grow aware of what are the needs of the more older people. All generations be fully functioning until it's time to go home to the Lord. Work to be done. There's work to be done. But finally, we want to ask, where do we find the motivation to live like that? Actually, it's quite charming you know, to live this kind of life. It be very challenging. Let me and by asking, when you see a movie or hear a story, you tend to identify with somebody in the story. 
That's the tendency. Lah. So, if I see... I know this sounds like a very old movie now. Matrix. Year 2000. And uh, I, I want to identify with Neo, but cannot because I'm very fat. Kino Reeves is thin and healthy. And so. so who do I identify with? Morpheus lah. <laughs> the old mentor, old mentor. So when the people are hearing Jesus telling this story, who do you think they identify with? They can't identify with the priest and Levite because you cannot go to school and get an MBA of Levite. Cannot either you're born into that tribe or not. So they, unless you're Levite or priest already, you can't identify with them. Identify with the robbers. I hope they don't identify with the robbers. Huh? Um, some more holy people said we identify with the donkey. I want to be a donkey for Jesus. Whoa, tape, respect. One said, I want to be the innkeeper, can make money. I said, I need to have some, I need to have some counseling with you. <laughs> I think most people will probably identify with the man on the ground. Because it happened all the time. Maybe they had encountered that before, or a loved one encountered that. They will identify with the man on the ground. How hopeless their situation was. The clock is ticking away, half day, three quarter day, night day. They, they were being very identified with the man on the ground and the desperation until someone come and save them. And maybe God is telling us, hey, don't forget, huh? you started as a man on the ground, lost in our sin without hope. Huh? Then Jesus stopped, huh? Jesus stopped huh? and then came down huh? and then put you on his donkey. Huh? So we are all recipients of the grace of God. And the starting point is not, I must go and do this, do that, but I'm a recipient of the grace of God. And again, Good Friday, Easter, we remember again, God didn't just get His hands dirty, He got His hands bloody on the cross to save us. I think the heart of the Christian faith is gratitude. Thank you. I think the heart of the Christian faith, remembering what God has done for us, is a big thank you. And we, Lord, I thank you with my life and how I live my life. So in response to God's love, I love God with all my life and I love my neighbor. So maybe the starting point is not, I need to love God, but rather, hey, hey, God stop the donkey and pick you up. Huh? Maybe we meditate on that part first, huh? that we are first recipients of grace and now we are meant to pass it forward. And all generations need grace. All generations need to be helped to show grace. And this is a journey that we're going to be embarking on as an intergenerational church. Let me just close briefly that some of you are, are you are you here tonight in a very tough situation in your life? You can't hear all this love God, love neighbor. My life is a mess. I'm on the ground. I'm bleeding. Maybe tonight, for those kind of people, I will say that Christ is here to carry you. Okay, maybe you need to come forward for some prayer or someone to pray for you. It's not that all this list of things I must do, I must be one. Maybe you can't hear all that tonight because you're in a very broken place in your life. And I, I want to tell you that Christ is the kind of Christ that will stop on the road and pick you up and put you on his donkey and bring you to a place of safety and healing. So maybe some of you are not in a good shape tonight. And not really ready to hear all these challenges. That's fine. That's fine. Christ is here for you. Maybe you need to be ministered to first you know, before we talk about ministering to other people. Let's close in prayer. Father, I just... Lord, help us. Lah. We so easily reduce Christianity to feelings and doctrines. 
but we don't live out, we don't do, we don't love you with the totality of our hearts, we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We are so far from that. But this is Lent and a time to reboot our faith and I pray to help me, oh God, help me and help my brothers and sisters here. That we will hear you again and, and that there's no point talking about intergen if we have not embraced afresh what you have done for us and out of our gratitude recommit ourselves to love others. Help us, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.